Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lift it up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. mind, if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the Gospel Record of Luke. The Gospel Record of Luke in chapter number 9. The Gospel Record of Luke in chapter number 9. We're continuing with our series of the life and ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ as seen through the Gospel Record of Luke. And as we've been entering into this next section, we can have Jesus Christ in his last year of his earthly ministry as he is now preparing to make his way to Jerusalem. And there at Jerusalem, as he's already told his disciples, he's going to be arrested. He is going to be uh, killed up on the cross and on the third day he's risen again. Now at this time, Jesus Christ has gathered his disciples. He has trained them and he's already sent them out to preach, to cast out demons, to be able to heal the sick. And they've come back and they've reported to him. Now Jesus Christ is now taking some final teachings with him and has been teaching them. Then he took some time to take three of the disciples, Peter, James, and John, and bring them out to the mountain. And they saw Jesus transfigured. They saw him turn outside out. Remember that Jesus Christ is God, robed in flesh. And at that particular time, Jesus took off the robe to allow them to see Jesus in his glory. Now Jesus, Peter, James, and John are now preparing to walk down the mountain. And we pick the story up already in progress in the gospel record of Luke in chapter number 9. The gospel record of Luke chapter number 9 and notice with me in verse number 37. The gospel record of Luke chapter 9 in verse 37 it says, and it came to pass that on the next day when they were come down from the hill much people met him. And behold, a man of the company cried out, saying, Master, I beseech thee, look upon my son, for he's mine only child. And lo, a spirit had taken him, and he suddenly crieth out, and it teareth him. He that foameth again, and bruising him, heartily departed from him. And I besought thy disciples to cast him out, and they could not. And Jesus answering said, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you and suffer you? Bring thy son hither. And as he was yet a coming, the devil th uh, threw him down and tear him. And Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit and healed the child and delivered him again to his father. And they were all amazed at the mighty power of God. But while they wondered everyone at all the things which Jesus did, he said unto his disciples, Let these sayings seek down into your ears. For the Son of Man shall be delivered into the hands of men. But they understood not this saying. And it was hid from them, and they perceived it not. And they feared to ask him of that saying. 
And if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, would you mark a phrase that Jesus attributes and addresses to this crowd that has been gathered there at the base of the mountain? Notice what Jesus said and declared about them in verse number 41. The gospel record of Luke chapter 9 and verse 41. Notice what Jesus called them. Faithless and perverse generation. Faithless and perverse generation. And with the Lord's help, we're going to see why Jesus declared this. Why did he call this crowd, including the disciples, a faithless and perverse generation? If you don't mind, let's go to the Lord together and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you again for you being a wonderful God. And again, thank you for the great privilege it is to be in your house, to be able to open up your word. And I'm asking that you would put your spirit into me to give unction, give power of the preaching. Lord, I understand that if I do this in my own flesh, people just get mad. Lord, my desire is not to aggravate people, not to get them mad. It's to be a help. And so by the power of your spirit, your spirit working, and I can trust you to do your work. I'm asking that you would draw all men to you. That you would draw everyone at the sound of my voice to you. And that they would make decisions. That they would understand. That they would perceive. That they would let these sayings sink down into them. And that they would come away changed, making decisions to follow after you. We love you and in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As Jesus Christ is coming down off the mountain and with Peter, James, and John in tow, notice if you don't mind, we see the first thing in here, the powerless disciples. The powerless disciples. Notice with me in verse number 37. And it came to pass that on the next day, now remember that the events they saw had pretty much happened at night. So now as morning is now arisen, they're walking down off the mountain. And when it came to pass on the next day, when they came down from the hill, much people met him. Someone said, this is the reason why we can't stay up on the mountaintop. Because the people are down at the valley. And the people need help. And the people need encouragement. And they need to know Jesus Christ. That we can't always stay in our high spots. We can't always stay and say, This meeting's so great, let's just stay here forever. We have to come down to the mountain. And we have to do some work. And we have to go to where the people are at to help them along. And so Jesus, James and John and Peter came down. And they, the people met them. And notice in verse 38. And behold, a man of the company cried out and saying, Master, I beseech thee, look upon my son, for he's my only child. Now what is happening is the man describes what happened, verse number 40. And I besought thy disciples to cast him out, and they could not. The other gospel records, as you put them together, paints a picture here. That what had happened is that as Jesus went up the mountain with Peter, James, and John. The rest of the disciples were left to kind of work the crowd. And remember that the disciples had been given power earlier in this chapter to cast out devils, to heal the sick. And remember they had been sent out for a period of months and they came back reporting all that they had done. So this isn't just a new thing. This is something they've been in the business of for months. So this man has come up to the disciples and he says, I've heard that you're able to do miracles, that Jesus is able to do miracles. 
Here's my son. He's of a devil. He's, this devil has tried to drown him. This devil has made my son walk through fire and try to burn him. My, this devil inside of him has tried to kill him. And the gospel record of Matthew it carries the idea that this boy had seizures all the time. The, this boy was a mess. And to watch it year after year and to watch that you have to keep an eye on your child because the devil inside of him is trying to kill him. That's got to be a heartbreaking thing. Imagine the lack of sleep this man must have had. Imagine the desperation that he has. So when he hears that there's a big crowd of people and the disciples are there and that they're able to cast out devils, he comes to them and says, here's my son. Can you do something with him? And the disciples did what they could. Now, I'm going to exaggerate and dramatize it, but it probably may have went something like this. That the man came up and maybe it was Matthew that said, all right, boys, I got this one. Clears off his hands and takes a running start. Be ye healed! And nothing happened. Wait, wait, wait. Hold on. I got this. I got this. Let me get a bit. Okay. Be ye healed! And nothing. Nothing happened. Maybe the other disciples elbowed him and kicked him out of the way and said, listen here, I got this. I'll show you how it's done. And he did some other trick. I'm exaggerating, you understand. Okay. But he did something. All right, come out of him. Nothing. You know, and now all the disciples take their turn. And nothing's working. Now, it'd be one thing if they were meeting alone. But remember, there's a crowd around them. And the crowd has come because they've heard about the miracles. They've heard about what Jesus done. They've heard about the feeding of the 5,000. They've heard how he has healed all these people. They've heard how the disciples are supposed to have power. And when they show up and they're watching the disciples fail, the crowd begins to turn hostile. I thought what you had was real. It doesn't look like it's real. It doesn't look like you have any power whatsoever. You have about enough power to power a moped of a gnat going around a Cheerio just once. Just no power at all. Nothing. And the crowd is becoming more and more hostile. And as the disciples are watching the crowd and knowing the crowd has turned them, they know that the outlook does not look good. When a mob gets frenzied up, this is not good at all. And so they're in desperation trying to heal this kid. And nothing. Nothing. And so Jesus Christ comes down. And he sees this crowd. Sees the disciples that have no power. Sees this man come to him in desperation. Now notice what the man, he's so desperate now. He just comes to him and notice what he says in verse 38. And behold a man of the company cried out saying, Master I beseech thee, look upon my son. He didn't even say, heal my son. He's now just saying, Lord, would you look upon him and consider healing? Just look at him. Just take a look at him, please. Do something. This man has been told over and over to believe, to trust. He's probably believed in the doctors. He's probably gone to the Jewish synagogues. He's gone to the rabbis. He's going to the Pharisees. He's gone to everyone. Now he's gone to the disciples. Everyone said, believe me, trust me, I got this. And over and over, that belief, may I say, even though it was displaced, has come to nothing. Over and over. Just believe. Just believe. And it doesn't work out. 
Just believe. And it doesn't work out. May I say that it doesn't matter how much faith you have. You have to have your faith in the correct object. And that object is the Lord Jesus Christ. There are many people who believe and have lots of faith in causes, society, Mother Earth, whatever else. But the true faith is looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, because he's the only one who could do something about it. Notice, if you don't mind, we go from the powerless disciples to the powerful Christ. Now, interesting enough, as this man brings this son to Jesus and explains the disciples' failures and Jesus can see this crowd here. Notice what he addresses in verse number 41. Jesus answering said, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you and suffer you? Bring thy son hither. Notice what he said. Now the disciples are included in this address. O faithless and perverse generations. Now normally you wouldn't associate those two statements together. Faithless and perverse. Now it could, it's possibly because that idea perverse, we end up putting a harder stint on it, a harder sting on that word. Faithless and perverse generation. The idea of faithless carries the idea that they're not trusting God. So here's the crowd, including the disciples, who are not trusting God. They're faithless. They're not trusting in the right object. The word perverse in this context here carries the idea of going on the wrong path. Well, if you're putting your faith in the wrong object, you are going to go the wrong path. And so, when he's talking about perverse, it doesn't have the sting on it that we may put in our context using the word. But faithless and perverse generation. You're trusting in the right, wrong thing. And it's causing you to go in the wrong path. And it's not right. Jesus' heart is broken by this prevailing atmosphere of unbelief. This contrast of what had happened up on the mountain is now completely different than what is happening down here in the valley. There the glory of God was shown and here everything is just thrown away. Now with this as Jesus Christ is addressing them and he's talking to them. They are wanting to see miracles. Why did this crowd come here in the first place? They wanted to see miracles. They wanted to see Jesus do something. They wanted to see something happen. This crowd is coming because he's fed them. Because he's taking care of them. Give them a show. But even though they've come for those things, they haven't trusted Christ at all. They haven't put their faith in Him. They haven't been looking unto Him. But here is a God who is able to do such things. Notice with me, if you don't mind, in verse number 42. And as He was yet coming, the devil threw down and tear Him. And Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit and healed the child and delivered Him again to the Father. And the gospel record of Mark in this thing, when Jesus said, bring your son here, uh, that all you have to do is believe. If thou believest, all things are possible. The man says, I believe Help me in my unbelief. That is probably one of the most powerful statements about faith. Lord, help me believe. Lord, I believe. Help me in my unbelief. Lord, I believe you can, but my belief is not enough. Help me. Remember, it's the object of our faith that matters. He said, Lord, I'm trusting you the best that I can. But where I'm lacking, please, you fill in the gap. That's looking unto him. 
And so this man, verse number 43, sorry, uh, Jesus healed him and delivered him, verse 43, and they were amazed at the mighty power of God. But they wondered at every one of all the things which Jesus did. He said to his disciples, here the people, they were amazed amazed Jesus Christ. No one else could heal this, man, this man's boy. But Jesus Christ did. Full of power. He was able. Which now brings me to this other thing. They perceived not. So we saw the powerless disciples. The powerful Jesus. But then we could see they perceived not. Remember Jesus Christ addressed this crowd and said, Faithless and perverse generation. And then he did this miracle and they were amazed. They were amazed. Why? Because Jesus did a miracle? They saw Jesus do a trick? But think about this. This same crowd that is cheering him and amazed right now is going to be the same one that wants to crucify him a little bit later. Where's the turn? What happened? It's because even though they were amazed... Even though they were fed. Even though they were provided for. Even though God had taken care of them. They still would not trust him to follow him. That's a difference. They don't mind being called a follower. They don't mind saying I showed up and watched Jesus do a miracle. They don't mind getting fed and taking care of him. But following him was just too much. Following him was not something they wanted. It's amazing to see what happens. Notice as Jesus pulls the disciples aside at verse 44. Uh, verse 43 context. And they were all amazed at the mighty power of God. But while they wondered every one of all the things that Jesus did. So at the same time as they're amazed, Jesus turns to his disciples specifically. He said to his disciples, let these sayings sink down in your ears. Now he's telling the disciples. He already knows the rest of the crowd is going to ignore. He's going to his followers. Let these sayings sink down. He says get it into your skull. Get across to this. What does he want them to get across? Let these sayings sink down in your ears. For the Son of Man shall be delivered into the hands of men. Now this is the third time in the gospel record of Luke. That Jesus Christ is told his disciples what he's going to do. Boys, I'm going down to Jerusalem. While I'm at Jerusalem, I'm going to be arrested. I'm going to be put on trial. They are going to kill me. And the third day I'm going to rise again. The last time he told them was earlier in chapter 9. Which is in their recent history. And he's saying to them again, get this in your head. Let this sink in. And they're still missing it. They're not getting it. In fact, notice what their response was. But they understood not. And it was hid from them. And they perceived it not. And they feared to ask him of that saying. Here's Jesus Christ who is doing the miracles. Who's doing these things that he has explained to them and they're not getting it. Still the same today. People could go to a church like this 
and we can open up the Bible and we can say, listen, Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins. It was your sins that put him up on the cross. Jesus died because you're a sinner. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There is none righteous. No, not one. For the wages of sin is death. That because of our sin, what is sin? Anytime we've missed the mark, anytime that we've gone against God's law, whether it was thou shall not <coughs> um, bear false witness, don't tell lies, we have broken that. The Bible says that we're to honor thy father and thy mother, to obey our folks, and we've disobeyed that because we've broken those small little things we think those so small. The Bible says we deserve death. We deserve to be separated from God. We deserve to go to an awful place called hell. But Jesus Christ died for us. Why did Jesus Christ die? Because there was no way we could save ourselves. Because there was no other way. If we could pay a million dollars, if we could just go to church, if we could just eat a cracker, and that was all that needed to go to heaven, then we wouldn't need Jesus to die. Jesus died because there was no other way. And that you must personally accept him to be your savior. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believeth him should not perish but have everlasting life. And someone could go to a church like this. And they can listen to a message like this. And they could say good that's great. And then we could ask them are you 100% sure if you die today you go to heaven. They go yeah 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 I am. Well how do you know? Well because I'm a good person. Because I went to church. You miss the point. You cannot go to heaven any other way. But through Jesus Christ. That's why Jesus said. Faithless and perverse generation. Because they hear. They see all the benefits. They see what Jesus did. They knew the story of Jesus. The disciples heard. From Jesus own lips. What was going to happen. And they didn't get it. They missed it. They didn't perceive it. Faithless and perverse generation. Faithless because they wouldn't take God at his word. They wouldn't trust in him. Perverse because now, because they believe something wrong, their path is going to be askew than when they should be. A church like this, we promote Bible reading, Bible reading, Bible reading. Read your Bible. Read your Bible. This is what God says. Read your Bible. Hey, how's your Bible reading? Eh, yeah. Faithless and perverse generation. How can you not read your Bible after hearing stuff like Sunday school? How can you not read your Bible when you see this is the very word of God and that this is the only way to keep us from sin? How can you not read your Bible when this is the story that tells us to Jesus? Yeah. A faithless and perverse generation. When you think about that Jesus died on the cross, forgive you of your sins, and has done so many things. Hey, can you make it to church Sunday night? Eh. Why, why don't you get it? What do you not understand? Faithless and perverse generation. Why don't you get it? This, it's plain. It is clear. Sometimes it's even hard to keep people awake in service. Why wouldn't you be? What did Jesus say? Oh, faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you and suffer you? That word suffer carries the idea of bear with you. 
It says in a different gospel record, the gospel record of Luke, one of the times that Jesus dealt with his disciples, and he tried to explain to them that, hey boys, I'm going to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to be betrayed. I'm going to be put on the cross. On the third day, I'm going to rise again. And then his disciples looked at him and said, eh, which one of us is greater? It said in the gospel record of Luke that Jesus sighed. To prove my point, we'll hit this on Wednesday, but notice with me verse number 46. Then, so verse 45, but they, the disciples, understood not this saying, and it was hid from them, and they perceived it not, and they feared to ask him of the saying. Uh, We don't understand it, but we don't want to ask for clarification. Uh, No big deal. It is a big deal. Is Jesus Christ going to the cross a big deal? Yes. If you didn't understand it, you should get clarification. Verse 46, then there arose a reasoning among them, the disciples, which one should be the greatest? They're starting to argue, okay, when we get to the kingdom, who's going to be number one? Jesus is going to be number one. Who's, ne- who's next? I'm the best. I'm Peter. You know, I'm Peter. John's like, no, it's me. And right after he said, I'm going to the cross. That should be pause. Let's think about this. No. Oh, that's good, Jesus. Hey, by the way, which one of us is going to be number one? Which is going to be your lieutenant? Who's going to be in charge with you when you run the kingdom? No wonder Jesus sighed. Notice it's not just the crowd. The crowd is going to be the crowd. Now we're bringing it to those that say that they're going to be following after Christ. And they don't get it. They don't get it. Why is it such a big deal to read your Bible? When this is God's word given to us. Why does it feel like the main job I have as a pastor is to beg people to twist their arms to do something to get them to read their Bible? They're missing it out. Why is it that I have to cheerlead? One of my kids gave me a good compliment. Dad, we love how you advertise for the next service. Why? Because I'm trying to get you to come here. Try to say, look, it's going to be good stuff. Come, it's going to be good. If you miss out, you're missing it. I shouldn't have to beg if people understood the importance of this. Someone may say, well, I think I'm saved. I'm good enough as I am. Are you? Let me ask this question this way. Are you 100% sure from the Bible? Meaning that you can show me with an open Bible and say, this is how I know I'm going to heaven. If you can't do that, may I say that there's something wrong with your Christianity? You may be saved, but if you can't show it from the Bible, you're on shaky ground. This is the only way that I know I'm saved. I'm not saved because I feel like it. I'm not saved because I think I've done enough. I'm saved because God made me a promise for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And there was a time that I believed on him. There was a point action in time. I could take you to the pew, take you to the city, take you where I was at when I bowed my head and accepted Christ my Savior. It was an event that happened. And I'm not going to to heaven because I said a prayer. I'm going to heaven because God made me a promise. And I believed his promise. And he is going to fulfill what he said he was going to do. That's what the Bible said. And yet, I'll have people walk out of here and say, "Eh, I'm good enough. Does it match? What happened? They're missing out. They're not perceiving. They're not understanding. Now, 
as a pastor, it's sort of a comfort that, you know, they didn't listen to Jesus. Why should I expect you guys to listen to me? But at the same time, I have the brokenhearted that Jesus is saying, why are you missing it? Why are you missing it? Why are you missing it? There's so much more for you. You can enjoy much more of the faith life. I have so much more for you than this. If you just trust me, if you just believe me, if you just obey, there's so much more for this. And I guarantee there are some people in this service who could make it tonight who chooses not to. Because they're missing it. They're perceiving not. This is why Jesus is addressing the crowd, including the disciples. Oh, faithless and perverse generation. Faithless because they're not believing in what God said. Perverse because now their path is going a different direction because of their false belief. And they're missing it. Do you think that Jesus wants the best for you? Do you think Jesus wants to limit your fun? Jesus has everything in He has the best things for you. He desires the greatest things for you. In fact, there's a great phrase. We have it in a couple of years from now. That the phrase, the series, much more than this. He just doesn't want to give you more than this. He wants to give you much more than this. There's much more that he wants you to have. He wants you to have the much more. And it's available and it's free and he wants to give it to you. But it comes after following after him. Faithless and perverse generation. Notice again verse number 45. But they understood not this saying. And it was hid from them that they perceived it not. And they feared to ask him of that saying. The crowd marveled at Jesus and his power. They marveled at the power they had. In fact, notice with me if you don't mind in verse 43. And they were all amazed at the mighty power of God. Who did the miracle? Jesus. At this time, did a lot of people have a hard time dissociating Jesus from God? Meaning they didn't see them as the same? Yes, absolutely. They marveled at the power of God. Now, we don't know if they marveled that God did this or... They recognized that it was Jesus doing it or if God was doing it through him. We don't have the clarification on that. But they marveled that God was behind this. God's definitely in this. God did this. They were amazed. But yet they walked away. Even though they were amazed, they didn't make a decision to do anything with their life. We just want to see it. We just want to hear the good messages. We just want to feel good. And they're missing out. And Jesus said, oh, faithless and perverse generation. And when Jesus says that, they're all looking around. What does he mean by that? I'm not talking about me. Okay, well, well, must be talking to someone else. And they missed it. God has so much more for you. And by the way, the Christian life is not a hard life. He does ask you to read your Bible. Is that a hard thing to do? I mean, is, is that just such an impossible task? Oh man, to read my Bible. I mean, you just equivalent that to walking on spikes barefooted. I mean, woo! I mean, just go to church on Sunday night. Do you understand? That's, that's when my ball game is going on. I mean, I can't give that up. 
Wednesday night, my favorite reality TV show's on. I'm not going to know who's going to win or who's going to get voted off or who's going to get whatever prize, whatever. And they're missing it. And God has so much more for them than this. And they don't want to obey God. They don't mind God doing miracles. They don't mind God entertaining them. They don't mind God providing for them and feeding for them. But to ask them to follow after him, to believe in him, to trust in him, that's drawing the line. Oh, perverse and faithless generation. They were amazed, yet they perceived not. So what do you do with such a thing? Well, first of all, dear friend, are you 100% sure from the Bible? And what I mean by that, as I said before, can you open the Bible and show me clearly how you know that you're going to heaven? Not because you think so. Not because you feel so. Not because someone told you so. Can you trust God's word? If not, it would be my privilege to take the Bible and to show you from God's word, his own promises, how you could have it nailed down a mile deep forever, trusting in what God said. Next of all, dear friend, how's your Bible reading? You said this question again, yeah. Because the greatest thing you could do on a daily basis is to read the word of God for yourself. Remember, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Someone says, I don't have enough faith. Let me tell you where to get it. God's word. God's word. If you're not in a faithful diet of God's word, may I say that your faith is probably very, very weak. No wonder he said faithless and perverse generation. How's your Bible reading? How about your church attendance? We talked about it this morning in Sunday school. We need that encouragement to be around other Christians to help encourage us to do what's right. We need that fellowship together. If you don't have it, you're missing out. You're launched out in the deep by yourself. And it's going to be very easy to fall away, to sin, to get false doctrine, to go away. You have, God has so much more for you than this. You're missing out. God has better things for you than this. I'm not saying this because I'm trying to pad our numbers. That's the furthest thing I want to do. We're not trying to get this because we're trying to get more people to give. I didn't say anything about giving in here. We're doing this because this is going to help you. This is all about for you. God has so much more for you than this. And he wants you to have it. But instead, we ignore and we miss what he's trying to teach us. And just waiting for the next miracle, the next entertainment, the next time he could take care of me. And yet we won't turn around and trust him when he's done so much for me. There was a man by the name of <coughs> Newell who took his son to a Bible college and said, my son is not living the way that he should and he's having a hard time. I want him to come to this school. And uh, the administrator of the school said, listen, we're not running a reform school here. This is a place to train people for the ministry. If the, he doesn't want to be here, then we don't want to, we, we got people who want to be here. And the father said, no, please, please, I believe that if he came here, it'd be help, please. And finally, the uh, leader of the school, Dr. Tory, uh, acquiesced and said, listen, I'll do so as long as he meets me every week to read his Bible. 
He's got to show up in the office every day to read his Bible. And then he's got to meet with me privately every week. And we're going to go over these things. And the young man came to the place in all of this, even though he was raised in a Christian home, and even though he was raised to do what's right, he had never trusted Christ to be a Savior. And it was during that time he trusted Christ. Later on, he became on staff there at that same college. He was part of the music ministry, and as he uh, was thinking about one day, he started to think about his testimony, thinking about what God had done for me, and how he was lacking discernment. <coughs> and he wrote a song that's honestly his testimony. And he said this words, years I spent in vanity and pride, caring not my Lord was crucified, knowing not it was for me he died on Calvary. He said, by God's word, at last my sin I learned. Then I trembled at the law I spurned, till my guilty soul imploring turn to Calvary. Now I've given to Jesus everything. Now I gladly own him as my king. Now my raptured soul can only sing of Calvary. Oh, the love that drew salvation's plan. Oh, the grace that brought it down to man. Oh, the mighty gulf that God did span at Calvary. Mercy there was great and grace was free. Pardon there was multiplied to me. There my burdened soul found liberty at Calvary. Let me tell you that the greatest thing you could do is to know for sure without a doubt from God's word that you know for sure that you're going to heaven, that your sins are forgiven. And then beyond that, once you're saved and you realize all that God has done for you, the best thing you could do is say, Lord, I'm going to be faithful to your house. I'm going to read your word. I'm going to pray and trust you and I'm going to let you do a work. You will not regret it. Those are the best things you could do in your life and allow God to do a work. And yet, there are some people that will say good message and walk away and not obey and miss out on the things that God wants them to have, the best things that God has for them in their life. Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 530-6308. Once again, that number is 920-530-6308. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.